Okay, well, we are in a series called Renew. Renew. Uh, second part of the series today. This time of year, the beginning of a year, is always a great uh, transition for us to start new things. We get New Year's resolutions or even to, to kick off some old. We're going to get our diet back on track. We're going to take our daily Oreo intake from 10 back down to 2. And we mean it this time. We're going to make sure that we're exercising regularly and we're going to stop looking at our phone for an hour before bed. We're going to read 52 books in the year 2023. We just started the first one last night, got three pages in and fell asleep. It's going to be a great year. Uh, this time of year is often a natural transition for us to jump into newness. And in this series, we're talking about the, the, the way that we can approach that a little bit smarter by continuing the things that we're already working on in a season of renewal. Last week, we took the 10,000-foot view. We studied Psalm chapter 51, the prayer of David's renewal. But today, I want to take it down to a little bit more practical venue and learn how we can be renewed in our minds. I want to talk about how we can be renewed in our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Bible is consistent about the effect that this world has on our minds. You see where he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's a repeating theme throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament. We see this desire for holiness because of the effect that the world around us has on our mind. And in the New Testament, there's a lot of how the Holy Spirit in a relationship with Jesus can help you to escape from the effects that this world has on your mind. The Bible agrees from start to finish on this. The world that we live in is broken and fallen and the effect that it has on you and on your mind is toxic. The status quo and the flow that people push each other towards acts in opposition to the will of God. And as a result, we end up with all kinds of contempt inside of us. Contempt towards one another, towards ourselves. We have suffering, pain, and all kinds of mental anguish. The world takes a mental toll on every person who lives in it. And so if we ever really want to experience freedom and joy and blessing and satisfaction and fulfillment in this life, we can't just say a sinner's prayer and move on and assume it's all going to be okay. There was a lie in Christianity, especially here in this country, for a long time that once I say yes to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And everything's going to be great. And now I'm good. I've been washed in the blood. I, I was baptized and I came up healed and whole. And I'm, everything's fine now. Except the, the reality is different, isn't it? There's so many of us, we enter into a relationship with Jesus and then we don't know what's wrong with us. Why is it not working for me? Why do I still feel all the kind of pain that I had before I came into this? There is a mental renewal that you need, no matter where you are in your journey with Christ. We have to wage war in our minds. We have to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And it's much easier said than done. For some of us, this process may take weeks or months, and for some of us, it may take years or all the years that we have left. 
But for all of us, if we want to live the life that God dreamed up for us, we cannot ignore the battlefield of our minds for even one more day. And so why is this such a big deal? Let me give you three areas in your mind where you might need renewal. Number one is this, strongholds and habits. Strongholds and habits. Our minds are wired for habit. Whatever we repeat becomes wired into our brains as something that we need to repeat again. You don't need me to tell you that, though. You know it's true because you see it in every single day of your life. Uh, Some of you have only slept on one side of the bed for the last 50 years. Uh, Some of us have brushed our teeth in the exact same pattern at the exact same part of our morning or in the exact same part of our evening since we started brushing our teeth when we were four years old. Uh, That was probably too late to brush your teeth. My kids brush their teeth before they're four. The way that you make your coffee is the same. You have a pattern for how you make your coffee. Maybe you have a pattern for the rhythm of your work week, habits that you do. Maybe it's the way that you wind down at the end of every day follows a specific rhythm and routine and habit every single day. The science tells us that whenever you repeat something that you enjoy, a shortcut is created in your brain from that task to the release of dopamine, a chemical that makes you feel satisfied, makes you feel good. These neural pathways are set in stone after just a couple weeks of repetition. And once they are there, they are pretty hard to rewire. Certain things like alcohol and tobacco release more dopamine and release it faster. Because of that, they take far less time to get wired in, and that's why they are so habit-forming. It's not just alcohol and tobacco. We have a wide range of bad habits. In fact, one of the things that humanity is best at is learning new bad habits. Ones that are obvious to people around us and ones that we keep locked away in secret. A big one these days is screen time. Many of you got your screen time notification just like an hour ago on your phones, that Sunday morning reminder of how poor you're doing at (laughs) self-control. We don't want to see it anymore. We ignore it. I swipe that thing away so fast when it comes up on Sunday mornings. I don't need to know that I spent six hours and 33 minutes on my phone every single day over the last week. That's not true, okay? This is hyperbole. But maybe it's true for you. Our screen time is extremely addictive and it's getting worse and worse. In fact, recent studies have shown that the average American looks at their phone 96 times or more every single day. And when you log into social media or you check your notifications, you get a dopamine hit that is equivalent to the same chemical reaction in your brain as smoking a cigarette. Then there's habits that are even more destructive in our lives, like pornography. Studies suggest viewing porn one time is eight times more likely to lead to addiction than using a nicotine product one time. And when our habits turn into addictions, that's when we develop strongholds. You will see the Bible use this term, strongholds. You will hear preachers use the term strongholds. And a stronghold is very simply a fortress that you build in your mind and in your heart to protect these bad habits and addictions and sins. The second thing is this. second reason we might need renewal in our mind is anxiety and depression. The struggle with anxiety and depression is one that I know all too well. 
when I was in my early 20s and really all throughout my teens, I fought a battle every single day just to keep everyone around me fooled that I was all right, that I was happy, that I was the life of the party, and that I was filled with joy. But the reality was I hated myself and I hated the world around me. It began as this anxiety, a fear of the future, a fear of letting people down, a fear of the next big change in my life. But that fear leaked down into my soul and became a deep depression. Eventually, getting out of bed was a struggle. I used substances to numb it, but nothing helped. Everything that I did only made it worse. It's a battle that I nearly lost. It got to a place where just waking up every day felt like a meaningless exercise in exhaustion. Like all I could bring into this planet was pain. So what was the point anymore? After 2020, reported cases of anxiety and depression tripled. Tripled in one year. Odds are many of you in this room right now are fighting this war in your mind and in your heart and in your soul. And you are in desperate need of renewal. And the third reason that we need renewal in our minds and at the root of all these other ones is lies. At the base of these issues are lies that repeat themselves in our minds over and over and over until they become a truth to us. Lies have always been the primary strategy of our enemy, the devil. John 8, 44, Jesus says, speaking of the devil, that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. His strategy from the very beginning has been to speak lies into our hearts that sound like the truth. Lies that prey to our most base fears, to the instincts that we've tried to wash away, but we can't. Lies that repeat so much they become formed into our very identity. Lies. You're not good enough. You're destined to fail. You're you're pretending And everyone around you knows it. Pretty soon somebody's going to say something about it. And even worse than that. And Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. These lies repeat until they become a truth as far as we're concerned. And we can't find our way out. And so how? How do we renew our minds? How do we rewire them? How do we break them free from these strongholds, these addictions, these habits, this depression, these lies? Let me offer a path forward for each, beginning with how do we break free of our bad habits and strongholds? Number one, new habits, accountability, and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be free of bad habits and strongholds, you're going to need a few new things in place. First and foremost, you have to replace those old habits with new ones. The reality is that our minds are hardwired to have a habit. And if we want to rewire them, we're going to have to write new neural pathways to new ways for us to experience joy. 
and they've got to be stronger than the old ones. And that's going to take a lot of time and discipline and training and consistency. That's the only way to make it happen. Consistency plus duration equals impact. It's the equation that is true in every area of our lives. Paul says it this way. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we are imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is talking about our need for the kind of discipline that we see in our greatest athletes. We have to discipline ourselves so that we can achieve the life that we want to live. You know, I can put on a red polo shirt and uh, some black pants, buy some golf clubs and go out there and swing them. But I can guarantee you I will not hit that ball like Tiger Woods. I can go ahead and put on a, a number 23 jersey and get me even some Air Jordans, some, some classic dunks on my feet. And I promise you, I cannot even touch the bottom of the net on a basketball court. I could go get myself a number 17 Buffalo Bills Josh Allen jersey, and I still won't throw it like the greatest quarterback in the NFL. See, the problem is we often believe that if we will just believe in Jesus and say we're a Christian, that we can go out there and we will just be Jesus. We can, we're just, I'm just going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to WWJD my way through life, and I will be fine. That will be easy for me. It is not easy for you. And it's not easy for you because the only way that those athletes like Tiger Woods ever achieved the greatness that they achieved is through an extraordinary amount of discipline. In fact, they achieved it because they were willing to become more disciplined than anyone else was willing to become. That's why they were the best. If we want to become like Jesus... We are going to have to discipline ourselves in a way most people are not willing to discipline themselves. If you want to become like Jesus, you're going to have to do what Jesus did. Live the way that he lived. This is why we are bringing practicing the way into our rhythm as a church. We want to make this as accessible and as easy to you as possible. We know that forming discipline and building new habits and routines in your life is extremely difficult. But I desperately want for this to be a church where people commit themselves to the slow process of spiritual formation and see the benefit of it in their lives. And so practicing the way is simply our way of showing you these new habits, these new routines, these new disciplines that you can put into place and start to replace your old habits and strongholds, the things that will help you get free. And so form some spiritual disciplines and some spiritual habits and then form other healthy habits as well. New habits help break old habits. So form some new habits like exercising regularly, eating healthier. Do read before you go to bed instead of looking at your phone. Studies show us that each new, ga- new habit, that good habit that we formed, that's what Gabbit, Gabbit is shorthand for good habit. You can start using that later today. Every new good habit that we form helps us walk away from our addictive bad habits. 
But sometimes it's not so easy to walk away. You can add all these new good habits and you can still have all the same old bad ones hidden away in the closet. Some habits are only broken through the power of accountability. Sometimes your habits are very addictive. They're sin. And you need somebody else to help you get free. Paul, writing to the Galatians this time, says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's important for us to remember those words. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, help your brother get free by keeping him accountable, by providing accountability. Tell somebody what habit you are trying to break and then give them permission to be nosy about it. If you want to break a habit, you're going to have to expose that habit to the world. And I know. I know that some of these habits you are trying to break, some of these addictions, some of these sins, you'd be terrified for anyone to find out about them. But you just have to know that that is the way the enemy is keeping you trapped within them. By convincing you that if this comes to light, you will be all alone in the world. You need accountability. You need it. Accountability will allow you to see what your habit looks like in someone else's eyes. Sometimes that's almost enough. Accountability will give someone else permission to be so nosy that it's difficult for you to hide things. In 2015, when we moved to Asheville, uh, I did not have very good balance in my life. Uh, I was 28 years old when we started this church, and I was young. I had just gone through a long career in the Coast Guard. I, uh, in the previous several years, was working at a church and was working on a master's degree and was still working in the Coast Guard. I was putting around 80, 90 hours a week, and it was too much, and I burned out. And we moved here, and starting a church from scratch is very difficult, and I burned out. And the way that that expressed through me was I just developed a really bad secret shopping habit. Was hitting that Amazon buy it now button like you wouldn't believe. Hiding boxes from my wife, stressing out about when they were going to get delivered so that I could get home and get those things put away before she would see it. And the spoiler alert is that she did eventually see it. And it was not a great day. It was not a good conversation. However, on the other side of that, I knew that to get free of this bad habit, I needed to have accountability. And so I gave total, complete access of my life over to my three accountability partners. What they would do is text me at regular intervals every day and say, send me a screenshot of your bank statement. And that was very invasive. It was, it was embarrassing sometimes. I'd be like, well, how did you spend $30 at Wild Wing Cafe? Did you invite someone else? And I'd be like, no, it's just me. Had an appetizer, 15 wings. It just, you know how it is. I was hungry. Had to explain things like that. Had to, had to be very open and honest and clear. And it was embarrassing. But it helped me to get free of an addiction. It helped me to build new habits. They would ask me three questions every single day. They would see the bank statement and then they would say, does Rael know about this? Does your wife know about this? Are you staying on your budget? And are you being wise? And I would answer these questions. And sometimes it was yes, and sometimes it was no. But as time went on, the no's became fewer and far between, and there were a lot more yeses. That's what accountability is. 
It's giving somebody access to make you uncomfortable. Now, I have to tell you this about accountability. Accountability only works if you commit yourself to build integrity through it. Accountability only works if you decide to be honest to the people who are holding you accountable. Because here's what I know. You can lie your way through anything. You can lie and keep going and you can, you can make those accountability partners think that you've got it all together. But if you do that, you are building new walls every single day around those strongholds that are wrecking you from the inside out. If you want to be free, commit yourself to not only building new habits, but building a new level of integrity and character and be honest with those accountability partners and just see what God can do. So you need accountability. You need accountability. And the last piece to breaking bad habits is also the most important piece. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Paul's magnum opus on this subject in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is this sin living inside of me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good thing I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep doing. This is one of the most relatable passages in Scripture. I know the thing I'm supposed to do, but no matter how hard I try, I just can't seem to do it. I look in the mirror and I see somebody I don't want to be. I don't understand it. I know what the person looks like that I want to be. I know how to live the life I want to live. But every single day I wake up and I choose to do the things I don't want to do. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And see, this is the thing. is you can build all these new habits and you can form accountability and you can start off in the right direction, but there is a brokenness inside of you that is going to fight to stay broken. It's going to claw its way to the surface over and over and over again. Paul felt it. This man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And if he felt it, I know I'm not above it. What does he say is the answer in the final verse? But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is a peace to becoming free from your stronghold, from your rebellion, from your sin, from your bad habits that can only happen through supernatural intervention and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on and on describing this struggle that we face, but he reiterates how his own power is not enough to make the right choice. 
Then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Holy Spirit has the power to deliver you and to set you free. So seek the presence of the Holy Spirit through prayer and worship. As you embark on this journey to be renewed in this area, more than ever, it is crucial for you to do the things that naturally connect you with the Holy Spirit. Pray and worship. Pray and worship every single day. Begin your day the same way. Pray and worship. Invite the Holy Spirit's power into your life. Those accountability partners, I hope that they're people who you admire in their walk with God. That's how you choose an accountability partner. Somebody who you admire the way they walk with God. And invite those people not only to hold you accountable, but to lay hands on you and to pray prayers of deliverance over you. Help me break these chains by the power and the might of the spirit of the living God. In Jesus' name, bind up the spirits that oppress me. In Jesus' name, I pray that these addictions would be broken. In Jesus' name, I need deliverance from these things. It's not just words. Prayer is powerful and effective. And when we invite the Holy Spirit into this process, alongside all these other things, we now have a formula to have real and lasting freedom. Learn to pray prayers of deliverance because the Holy Spirit is real and powerful, and he breaks chains, and he throws cages open wide. And so, build accountability in your life. Pray prayers of deliverance. Have people lay hands on you, and put new good habits into place, and watch your strongholds fall. Now, let's talk about anxiety and depression. This is not an easy fix. Uh, For anxiety and depression... It requires hard work. You have to find the root and dig it out. And it's hard. And it's painful. And it can take a very long time. But if any of these things, anxiety, depression, and all their friends, if it's a part of your life, you need to find freedom from them. Because God has more in store for you and in mind for you. So if you suffer from these things in any significant capacity, I'll give you my recommendation and just tell you what I've done in my own life as I've fought that battle. Three different things. Number one, get in community. Get in community. We believe that we find freedom in community. In community, something very special happens when we're struggling with anxiety and depression. Because here's one of the biggest lies that the enemy will tell you when you are living in that horror. You are alone. Nobody will ever understand this. You have to fight this alone. Nobody wants to hear you whine. You are alone. And that voice echoes. I mean, some days I can still hear it. And I need you to hear me tell you, you are absolutely not alone. Sitting 20 feet away from you in this very room is someone struggling with the same thing right now. And when we get into community, real community, we have a space where we can get vulnerable and take our mask off and stop pretending like we're okay and admit 
that we are going through hell and we need help. Small group leaders, this is why we value community so deeply here at the Gathering Church. When you commit and say yes to being a small group leader, you're creating spaces in your home. What a privilege. So just to create a space, and you don't have to be perfect at this. You don't, have to, you don't have to have it all together. You just have to create a safe place for people to take the mask off and get vulnerable. Because at the gathering, we don't believe vulnerability is a weakness. One of our core values is that vulnerability is our strength. What makes us special here at this church is that we are not afraid to get vulnerable with one another. Because only through vulnerability can we find the pathway forward to healing. Get in community. And start letting people see it. Second thing is this. Listen to your doctor. Don't be opposed to medication just because it's medication. It can help you. Don't believe that it's the whole answer either. You need community, counseling. You need the healing power of the Holy Spirit. But for some, there is simply a chemical imbalance that needs to be corrected. And praise God that in this day and age, he's given us the resources to do that. Use it, just don't abuse it. Some of you will be able to use it for a while as you dig out the root of your depression and find healing. Some of you will have to take it forever because the effects of trauma have rewired your brain and it needs help. Find a doctor that you trust and work with them to figure out which category you land in. Number three is this, get counseling. I believe that a licensed, professional, Christ-following counselor can change your life. One changed mine. On multiple occasions, in 2016, after that first year of church planning, Rail and I, our marriage was not good. We went to marriage counseling because we needed it. We weren't thinking about getting a divorce, but we also were not in a good place. We didn't enjoy being at home. And over a course of months of counseling, our marriage got better than it had ever been before. It had never been as good as it is right now because of counseling. We needed professional help. And there's been seasons where I've needed professional help. When I first became a Christian and I was suicidal and depressed and dealing with all kinds of issues, I needed it. And then I needed it again recently, 20 2019 was the worst year of my life. In 2019, in the summertime, some of my best friends, people really close to me, uh, went through a season where their marriage ended. And somebody that I had been very, very close to for years and years and years, I found out that he had been an addict the entire time and I had no idea. And as a pastor, that really made me feel bad at everything had to walk with them through this horrible trauma, through this difficult season. And then at the end of the summer in August, my 16-month-old daughter was just so sick one day. And we didn't know what was going on. She, she was lethargic. She, she wasn't herself. She was just crying over and over. And she was dying of thirst. She was so thirsty. She had to have water. So I took her to a doctor after a prayer service. And the doctor said, you have to go right now to mission. They have a room for you in the ICU. You need to take her. And so I got in my car and I drove like a madman and got to mission. And they checked her into the PCICU and plugged her into all kinds of IVs. And I've got no idea what's going on. And a doctor comes in and he says, you came in just in time. 
Your daughter has type one diabetes and her body is shutting down. Her pancreas failed. And I said, well, what does that mean? Can you fix it? And they said, well, it means she needs medication. She needs insulin. And I said, when, like a pill every day? And they said, they said, no, it's every time she eats, she'll have to have a shot. And I was like, well, how long does it last? When does it go away? And they said, never. And it's just nothing like seeing your child fight for their life in an ICU bed. And then uh, a month later, some of our friends lost their child. And I'm whirling around trying to adjust to all this suffering and all this pain and all this trauma. And then 2020 comes around. And in March, we close the doors to the church. And this thing that we put all of ourselves into to start this church, four years in, we have to shutter the doors and we don't know if we will ever open them again. And all I want to do is figure out how to help and how to pastor and how to care for people. But every single day I have a meeting or a phone call where somebody tells me I'm not doing a good enough job. And by the end of that summer, every feeling that I thought I would never feel again came back in a flood. And I said, I need help. I can't do it on my own anymore. And so I started going to counseling. Went to counseling once a week for months. Had to deal with things that I thought were put away and buried forever. Things that, 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 that I thought I would never have to talk about again. I'm unboxing them. I'm laying them bare out in front of this counselor and dealing with all of this trauma. I'm asking my mentors to lay hands on and pray over me on a regular basis. I'm, I'm bringing friends closer than I've ever brought them. I'm, I'm just kind of a standoffish friend a lot of time. I've got to be honest. I'm not a very good friend. And I had to dive into friendships in a way that I've never done it before. And all of these things came together so that I could be made whole again. I still go to that counselor. I, go, I went from once a week and then I was going to once a month and I, now I go and see him every other, every other month and, and still just to stay healthy and to stay in a good headspace. But I just need you to understand two things. One is that sometimes what you're going through is too big for you to go through on your own. And that there is a great benefit to having someone who is called and who is trained and who is gifted to help you process all that trauma. Because every single one of us, whether or not you had a year like that, we all went through 2020 and shared a collective trauma that is bigger than most of us have taken time to realize yet. You might need help unpacking that. You might need help. And the other thing I need you to know is that you are not alone. I'm dealing with this stuff. And so a couple things. If you're going to get a counselor, I think it is imperative that you find a counselor who is following Jesus that has a Christian worldview, because otherwise they're going to try to help you with all the ways that the world is trying to help each other, and they are listless. It cannot help you. There are a lot of good methods and techniques, and I see not a Christian counselor like a pastor, but I see a, a licensed therapist, and I think there's a lot of benefit to that. I've done everything. I've done EMDR. I've done a lot of different modern methods of counseling, but it is crucial that the person who is leading you through that has a Christian worldview. And then get counseling. I think most of us could benefit from counseling. If you are unhealthy in one of these ways, but maybe not quite as deep as all of that or as bad as all of that, you still have work to do. Because anxiety and depression and bitterness, they're all like weeds. You can't just treat the surface. You've got to dig out the roots. 
You have to find out what's going on in your heart and get to the root cause of it and start to treat it. Paul says it's a renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's an intentional process. Look at what he writes in Philippians chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I used to get a little frustrated at that verse as someone who struggled with anxiety and depression. People would share that with me. And, I, and to be honest, some of us, we share that in inappropriate time. Christians, get better. Get better at knowing the appropriate times to say things. If somebody has just admitted in small group that they're dealing with deep anxiety and all the things that I just mentioned, and you say, well, don't be anxious about anything. Just need to pray about it. That's the wrong answer. But what Paul is saying here is crucial for us to grasp and understand. Paul understands anxiety and depression and all of it. Paul is being hunted and pursued by every government in the world. Paul has been arrested many times. He's been beat to the edge of death. The guy gets bitten by snakes for crying out loud as if it's not enough. He understands the trauma of this life. He doesn't take it lightly. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't I just pray about it. No, no, no. Paul is saying, Instead of just giving yourself over to anxiety, you need to learn to pursue, and I'm way over in time, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to keep going. You need to pursue the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in the power of the Holy Spirit, there are things that can be unlocked in you that cannot be unlocked any other way, which is the peace of God, which goes beyond all the understanding of the world. Pursue him. Pursue him. Don't just be anxious but pursue God in prayer and petition by, by retraining yourself instead of just seeing these things that are hurting, start to give thanksgiving. Bring your requests to God. Allow his peace to infiltrate your heart and your mind. And then whatever is true and whatever is noble and whatever is right and whatever is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, rewire your brain to pursue the things of God and go away from the things of this earth. You may need counseling to help you do that. You may need medication to help you do that. You may need a lot of spiritual intervention to be able to do that, but this is a path forward that can't be ignored. And this is God's promise for us today, is that there is peace in this for us if we commit ourselves to this process. Don't let depression tell you that you're not worth it. God says you have a purpose in your creation. Go before him and he will give you rest and peace and understanding. He will help you to rejoice when you feel like crying. Let's get this area healthy this year and be renewed here. And now for our strongholds and our addictions and our bad habits and our anxiety and our depression, at the root of all of these things is one common denominator, lies. And the only cure for lies is the truth. The truth. We have to root out lies in our hearts and just replace them with the truth. It's time for us to take control of our thought life. Second Corinthians 10 verse four says, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. 
On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension, lie, which sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. You have to learn how to take your thoughts captive. When you begin to tell yourself that you are worthless or that you can't do something, when fear enters your mind, when anger rooted in bitterness creeps in, take it captive and say, no, not today. One by one, replace it with rejoicing, with praise to God and with his promises. I've done this practically for years. In fact, I have spiral notebooks filled to the brim with the lies that I've believed over the years and the truths that God has replaced them with. Here's what I recommend. Get yourself a notebook. Any kind will do. I like a spiral notebook because they're 50 cents and I like wide ruled because it makes me feel like I'm writing more. When you hear those lies, you're not good enough. You're an imposter. You don't belong here. Nobody really likes you. They're just being nice to you. That sin is too big to be forgiven. Grace doesn't really apply to people like you. If anyone ever finds out, your whole life is over. Don't worry about it. It's not hurting anyone. Lies. Identify them and then write them down in your notebook. And then take a red pen and either draw a line through them or circle them. I circle them because I can't draw a straight line. Underneath them, write out the truth. Over time, it becomes this automatic exercise in your mind. I hear a lie and I mentally circle it and I replace it with the truth. John Mark, you're not good enough. No, that's not right. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. No greater love has anyone than this, that he might lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid his life down for me. I'm his friend. I am not just loved. I am worthy of sacrifice. Over and over again, repeat this exercise until that lie is gone and dead. You can be renewed this year. Stop believing the lie that you can't be. You can be renewed in your mind. You can have freedom in your mind, peace in your mind, joy again in your mind. But it's going to take work. I mean, real work. It will only happen if you commit yourself to it. But you don't have to do it alone. We are with you. Your community is with you. You can get help when you need it. It will be worth every penny you pay. And you can be free. If you've been fighting that battle all your life alone, and quite frankly, you're losing, I need you to know about the healing power of the hope of Jesus Christ. That because of what he's done for you, there is a hope that this world could never offer you. You can have a relationship with him today and begin this journey right now. All you have to do is accept the sacrifice that he's already given you. And it just starts with a prayer. So every head bowed, every eye closed, we just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. I believe that you can forgive me. 
Thank you for dying to make it possible for me. I believe in you and what you've done. And so all that I am from this day forward, I am yours. I offer myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen.